Good morning, church. Josh, our youth director, was supposed to be here this morning, but I, I asked you to be in prayer for his family. His grandfather passed away, and you, so you don't get to see his beautiful beard that he has. And don't worry, Logan, I'm going to be putting all that money in the shave category just to make you guys raise some money if you want him to keep that. So I like the nice, clean look. But be, be in prayer for Josh and his family. My name is David McMinn, and I'm the pastor here. And as I always say, and I truly mean it, it's a great joy to be your pastor. And I'm so glad that of all the places that you could be on this cold and rainy morning, that if you have chosen to worship God with us. We're starting a very important new sermon series on discipleship. And so over the next few weeks, myself and then Ashley Garib and then Pastor Randy Bell are going to lay out our path of discipleship, because the truth of the church is today is that we're stuck. One author says that the church is a mile wide and an inch deep. And what that means is that we have said yes to God, we have given our life, and we said, yes, you're our Savior, we're going to get to go to heaven, we've come into the front door of the house of life, of faith, if you will, and then we have stayed right there. We're stuck. The, The study also by the same author, this is the Barna Group, have found that 89% of Christians say yes to Jesus, are justified, which is just a fancy word for saying we are made right with God, and then that's as far as they take their faith. Only 11% of Christians really deeply engage at what it means to follow Jesus and to be a disciple. And if we look at our world and we look and we ask, why don't we see God moving more in the tragedies of our life? Why do we see so much pain and suffering in the world when we have so many Christians? It's because of this very fact. Yes, God works mightily outside of the church. God does not need the church to do God's work in this world. However, for one reason or another, most of the things that God wants to do, God wants to do through you. God wants to do through the church. And we are holding back our potential Because we're not living into the abundant life that God has for us. Sometimes we're so focused on the life after death and on eternal life that we're not living the kingdom life that we have available to us today. And this is an incredible tragedy. So over the next three weeks, we're going to encourage you. We're going to walk you through the life of faith and, and talk about the exploring phase when we're just questioning about who God is, the transforming phase where God is with us, and then the maturing and centering phase that we want to walk you through. And how God's grace is there to meet us where we are. But it takes action and effort on your part. So I have, a, I have a little quiz for you guys. I want you to shout it out. This is a pop quiz. And this is something that you need to learn. Every single person who is a partner of Rockbridge needs to learn these two things. Does anybody shout out the mission of Rockbridge Church? Of who? For, for the transformation of the world. All right, I'll say it again. Our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, right? And then our vision, anybody know our vision statement? I helped you out. I put it in big letters, at least the first part. You may not have noticed. Of course, Bill would cheat. (laughs) But it is. It's in your GPS every single week that we want you to read, that we want you to engage with. There's a devotional in there. There's so many great things. And one thing, it presents our mission and our vision. So our vision statement is bridging people to Jesus, who is the rock. Get that part of our name, rock. And bridge through relationship with disciples who love, learn, and launch. What is that one uniting factor between both of those statements? What does it require? Go, yes. There's a very specific word that's in both of those statements. One word. Besides Jesus, yeah. Besides Jesus. Of course, God and Jesus. Disciple, right. 
So we need to do a great job of making you into disciples. So the first thing we need to do is to answer the question of what is a disciple. So if you'll put that slide up for me. What is a disciple? This comes from Matthew chapter 4 and I believe also Mark chapter 4. It's in both of the Gospels. But Jesus tells the, the Peter and James and John and Andrew, he tells them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of people. This is the life of faith. This is what it means to be a disciple. Follow me means that we're called to know Jesus. And here the language we use is that we love. So we love God and neighbor. When we learn who Jesus is, we come to fall in love with God because God is already in love with us. I mean, you heard in the words of that song, that is God's passion. When it talks about leaving the 99 to find the one, that's a parable that Jesus teaches that a shepherd like Jesus, will leave the 99 to go and search for the one. He will abandon the 99 to search for the one who is lost. That is how much God loves you. So God already loves us. So the first step of faith is just saying yes to God and loving God, and that's part of being a disciple. We love. We love God, and out of that, we love our neighbors. And the second part, once we've said yes to God, Jesus says, I will make you. This is the thought that we are transformed by Christ. Now, this actually does require effort. Grace is not earned. It's freely given by God, but the life of faith takes effort, and it's a daily journey. You are never complete. You are never complete, at least this side of glory. God is constantly working in you to grow you. We say that's learning, so we already have the heart knowledge that Jesus loves us, that God loves us, and that we're called to love back. This is the head knowledge to learn what it means to live a Christ-like life. I will make you fishers of people. This is the commitment to help God transform the world. Just like what I was talking about, we are called in God's amazing transformative work to bring God's kingdom here around us now and today. It's not about waiting until Jesus comes back. We're working on it now. And so we launch ourselves in mission and outreach, inviting our neighbors and into service. So what does it mean to be a disciple? We say it is a person who loves, learns, and launches themselves in mission and outreach and service. So we're going to walk you through over the next three weeks how we're going to help you, no matter what stage of faith that you're in, we're going to help you move through each of those stages. And those stages are exploring when you're just curious about God, transforming when you say yes, and then you start that faith. This is where so many Christians get stuck, though. And then to maturing, when we're starting to live out the life and call that Jesus has for us. We're reading our Bible every day. We're coming to worship. We're in small groups. We're serving in some way. Until we get to the point where we are centering our lives on Jesus. And this is what God wants for us. It's that every moment and every action, we think about how God would handle this situation. How is God calling us to act? The ethics of what it means to follow Jesus are, are actually pretty simple. It's not what would Jesus do, but what is Jesus doing in my life today, and how is Jesus calling me to live that out? So we're going to help you, and we're going to show you what to do no matter where you are on that pathway. God's grace, though, is already engaging us wherever we are. And today we're talking about prevenient grace and that exploring step of faith. So I'm going to walk you through that a little bit. You'd show me the, the house. All right, so one metaphor that is used of the life of faith is a house. And I want you to imagine that you were invited to a wonderful house party, right? This is kind of that stage where we are searching. Maybe we don't even know who God is, but we believe as Christians that every single person is searching for God, that we have a God-sized hole in our heart, 
and we won't be happy until we find it. But at some point, a follower of Jesus has invited you to this party that they're already at, and you've gotten to the porch. Prevenient grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor that calls you into reconciliation to God. The prevenient, that's a really fancy word. I think we made it up. It just means the grace that comes before. We believe that God is calling all people into relationship to Jesus. This is one of the unique things about the Wesleyan way and the Wesleyan understanding. We follow John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist movement, a movement that exploded all over the world and has affected so many lives. And this is one of the reasons, because we believe that God is not exclusive, that God is teaching for each and every single person, because we believe, and we take Paul seriously when he says that Jesus wants every knee to bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And so God is calling all people to this porch. But you haven't gone yet into the party yet, right? You haven't said yes to God. God said yes to you. You just haven't said yes to God. So you're just standing on the porch. Maybe you're talking to a disciple and they're saying, you know, come on in. This is a wonderful party. So this is where God is meeting us in that exploring phase. And if you're there today, this is who we're speaking to. But I also am talking to you, the church, because y'all play a vital role, a vital role in helping people move from the exploring into that transforming phase of a relationship with God. Let's go to the next slide. All right, so this is justifying grace. So that, again, that's that fancy word where we are made right with God. All it is is that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, specifically the atonement that he did for us on the cross, and through nothing that we could possibly do, all we can do is say yes, that we are made right with God and forever in relationship, both in the abundant life now and eternal life to come. So we're now we're entering the party, but we just, we just got our foot wet, right? We're just in the foyer. We've opened the door. We're standing in. We can hear the music, but we haven't begun to explore the life of faith. Do not let yourself get stuck in this room. You are missing out. Jesus came to give us life and life abundant. It's not just when we die and go to heaven. You have access to that now. But if we get stuck in this room, we Make it so that we don't get to experience all the life that God has for us today. Do not get stuck in this room. Do not be that 89% who say yes to Jesus and then never progress in their faith. Always grow, always mature. Get to that point where you are centering your life on Jesus. The third room, or the third example, is the rest of the house. Notice that you know, you're in the porch, the only part of the house you've explored when you've been justified, when you've been made right, when you said yes to God through the grace of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, is that front room. You haven't explored the rest of the house. This is a lifelong journey where we go in each and every room and we learn new things about Jesus. We mature and we start to really focus on who God is and, and, and where Jesus isn't just another part of our life, but we get to where Jesus is our life. God wants all of it. God doesn't want your Sundays. God wants your Sunday through Saturday. Sundays are just the time we get together and worship God and then sin out on mission. God wants your entire life and we'll stop until, won't stop until he has all of it. So this is what we're going to talk about um, the next few weeks and our pathway of discipleship, which is our next slide. So you go from exploring which is when you haven't even, when that grace of God is reaching into your life and you're curious, maybe you're wrestling with it, but you haven't said yes, to transforming where you're made a new person. We say you're a new creation in Jesus Christ. To you've said yes and you're maturing. 
And so you're involved in life groups, you're reading your Bible, you're coming to worship. It's not just some extra thing, but you're really starting to focus in to the point where we're centering our life on Jesus. And then what's really cool, and this is how it's supposed to work, once we get to that centering position, don't think your work is done. Now you're supposed to grab another person who's in that exploring phase and walk with them and help them explore their faith, get them to say yes to Jesus and be transformed, help them mature and help them center themselves on Jesus. And we just keep going through that over and over again until every single person that we meet has a deep relationship with Jesus. So you're never off the hook. Today, we're talking about how this prevenient grace, about how God is working in your life even before you even knew who God was or that there was a God. Our first scripture today comes from Psalms 139. This is what it says, verse 13 through 15. You are the one, talking to God, who created my innermost parts. You knit me together while I was in my mother's womb. When does God know you? When you are in your mother's womb. Probably even before that, but we know in my mother's womb. I give thanks to you that I was marvelously set apart. Your works are wonderful. I know that very well. My bones weren't hidden from you. When I was being put together in the secret place, when I was being woven together in the deep parts of the earth. You gotta love that poetry. So when we talk about this prevenient grace, this grace of God that comes before, what a great comfort it is to know that God has known you from the very first moment that you existed. God has known you through all the good moments in your life, and God has known you through all the bad moments in your life. You know what's amazing? God loves you anyways. There is nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of God. In fact, this is what Romans 5 tells us, and and we say this every week, but I'm gonna highlight it. Starting with verse seven. It says, isn't often that someone will die for a righteous person, though someone might maybe die for a good person. Usually righteous people, you know, like those prophets, you don't like those folks because they kind of make you feel bad because they're living a good life, so you probably won't die for them. Now, you might die for a good person, someone who's really nice. This is, what, this is what it says. But God shows his love for us because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not because you're a good person, not because of righteous, not because of who you are, but because of who God is. There's nothing you can do that will separate you from the love of God. God wants you. God wants a relationship with you. God doesn't want some shallow existence where, yeah, you acknowledge God. God wants everything of your life because God loves you. God already sees you as his child. You just may be a prodigal child that has wandered away from home. God has loved us since the moment we existed. And we talk about how humans, you know, God created this perfect world. It was perfect. It was the Garden of Eden. We got to stroll through with God and the evening breeze. Everything was wonderful. And yet it was us humans who chose to walk away from God. You know, there were two trees in the Garden of Eden, one the tree of life and one the tree of, the gar- of good and evil. What's amazing is, is God says, you can eat from any fruit of any tree except for the Garden of good and evil. Do you know what that means? That we got to eat from the tree of life. There was no death. Until humans said, you know what, God, we don't need you. We can rule this world better than you can. We're going to eat from the tree that you say we can't. And we repeat that mistake over and over again. We say, God, we know how to run our life better than you. I don't need you in my life. 
I don't need your wisdom and your guidance and your Holy Spirit. I can do it better. And that's where sin comes in. And so prevenient grace is that while we were dead because of sin, God starts wooing us and loving us. There's a lot of almost romantic language in the, in the, in the scriptures about a wedding. This is when God is inviting us into relationship as if you would woo someone that you would want to date you. You know how when you're first dating someone and you're super nice and you're hiding all your flaws and you actually clean your house and you buy gifts for people, for this person that you love, that's like God. That's the depth and breadth that God is willing to go for you even before you have any idea who God is. When you're searching and you know something is missing in your life, but you don't know what it is, God loves you and loves you deeply. And then hopefully at some point, someone from the church has invited you to the porch and now you can kind of see the life of faith and hopefully they're living a good example and they're living out the way that Jesus has us to live. And you see the party and the joy and the wonderful things that are going on. And you're starting to explore this idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Until that day that you're willing to say yes to God and walk in the house. And what a great and glorious day. I think the whole of heaven celebrates when someone says yes to God. But again, never forget that that is simply the beginning. And why should we say yes to God? Well, first is the abundant life that we receive now. I think the church has something incredible to offer that nowhere else in the world offers. It's one of the reasons it's still worth it to come on Sunday morning, even though you can get better preaching and better music and better everything else online. Yeah, you can laugh at that. We come because of community. No other place in our society can you get a place where no matter who you are or what you have or what you don't have, people love you. That's what the church offers. That's what people desperately need. What is abundant life? It's community together. In the good moments and in the bad. We have a family of God, but this isn't a family that's exclusive. We always have room for one more. The door is always open. That's abundant life. Another part of it is the purpose. What is abundant life? It's the purpose that God gives us. No Christian should ever wonder about the meaning of life because I'm here to, I'll tell you what it is right now. What is the meaning of life? It's not that, that, not that much of a mystery for a Christian. It's to love God and to love our neighbors and to serve God and live out our called meaningful purpose. Each of you have a purpose in God that is a meaning that you can't find outside these walls. There's a lot of things that will bring you happiness, but only the purpose that God gives you for your life will bring you true, long-lasting joy. True, long-lasting joy joy. God has a purpose for each of you. And then, of course, in addition to the community and our forgiveness of sins, how great a gift is that? I don't know about you, but that's my favorite part of worship. To know the mistakes that I've made are not held against me, and I get to give those to God and lay them at the foot of the cross and try to do better. That's part of the abundant life that we get to live now. What a great gift. So I could go on and on about the abundant life and the kingdom and our purpose. That's what we're offering to people who are exploring faith. is so much more once you enter into the house party. And then, of course, the cherry on top, because it's not the purpose, it's not the goal, it's not the point. The thing that we really offer is eternal life with God, that you never have to believe that the end of this life is the end of all things. 
you get to live in God in harmony and peace, first in heaven and then in the new heaven and new earth for all eternity. And what a great gift that is. I think that's something of value. I think that's something that people desperately need and definitely want. They want abundant life. They want eternal life. So church, go out there and offer it. Because this is on you. Yes, it's on me, I promise. You should hold your, your, your staff accountable to make sure that we're doing this. But you guys, you guys have to be the one out there doing the heavy and hard lifting. Because you're the ones that are involved in connecting with all these people who are searching and exploring in your daily life, at work, at school, in your groups that you're a part of. Much more than I am. And I want to remind you that 82% of non-Christians will say yes if you invite them to church. There's no excuse. Invite them. Invite them into part of what we're doing. Because God has amazing and wonderful things for the abundant life and for eternal life going forward. This is a wonderful gift, a wonderful thing that we can offer. And so that's kind of our task today, church. If you are one of those people this morning who are exploring your faith, you haven't yet said yes to God, I want to tell you, there's no greater moment than when you say yes and you receive that grace and that acceptance and love and that purpose and the abundant life and the gift of eternal life. So if you're on that fence, you're standing at the door, I want to invite you this morning. Today is the day to say yes to Jesus, to say yes to the God who loves you, to say yes to the greatest life that you could possibly ever live. And then church, we need to do our job. It doesn't end at 12 o'clock today when you go home. God wants your Sundays. God wants your Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays. You need to progress and grow in your faith and you need to be the one who's willing to invite people into a deeper relationship so that they can say yes to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus invites.